welcome to Q&A with S&A. This is uh, our podcast for Shane and Andrea and we talk too much so you'll get used to that along the way. Uh, and today we have a very special guest with us, Peter Gandolfo. And Peter, uh, he doesn't need any introduction, so I won't give him one. Um, he is an amazing man and we're very, very grateful that he's going to sit with us and talk today. Um, so thank you for coming. Pleasure. Yeah. I'm going to let Shane take the reins on this one okay. because Shane has known Peter for a long time. So Peter, let's wind the clock back a little bit. <laughs> Can you recall roughly how long ago you and I first connected? Well, you probably can correct me on this, Shane, but I think it was early 90s. Yes. But I'm not sure exactly when. I think it would have been around 1994. That'll do. Yes. That'll do. And you were working in a relatively new building. Mm-hmm. Yes, in, I was. In Hawthorne. Correct. And you were the young <laughs> bright spark. Yes. Working with the, the chap who had the role of managing partner. Correct. Mm. At an accounting firm. Yes. At an accounting firm. Mm. And the way he tells the story, he, he taught you everything you knew. Yes. <laughs> and the way you tell it, Shane, is <laughs> <laughs> he, he actually did really well out of the deal. <laughs> yes, I think he did. And um, so you were, um, apart from the fact that there were referrals between the two practices, our law firm, and which was mm. here in Camberwell, and yours just across in Hawthorne, you were actually our personal accountants. Yes, that's correct. So, yes. So that stayed because when I talk about our, it wasn't that much later that I left the legal practice mm -hmm. uh, for, for good. I left legal practice yes. for good. I decided I was going to um, not be a lawyer. So elaborate on that a bit more. So you were a lawyer at the time when we first met and you were a partner in a law firm when we met. True. And yeah, what's the what has changed since then or what 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 has been the what has been the timeline since then? In oh, since then. Well, at the or time you can even go even, further than that. So yeah, I started yeah, in yeah. in practice in Camberwell a while back. <laughs> yes. And I was in the firm for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Same firm, which I think these days people wouldn't um, understand. No. no. It's quite rare. The thing was, in those days, you started somewhere and that was what you did. That was your vocation and you'd mm -hmm. be there forever. Yeah. There was no thinking that you'd have a career path. Um, as it transpired, I think it was a quite a, um, um, it was a... It was a wonderful environment for learning. Hmm. that practice and so it turned out that I thought I might keep learning and that was fine so I gave 12 months notice mm -hmm. and am still very much engaged with that with that practice mm. but the idea was go and do something else so the something else turned out to be I'd given the notice in the beginning of January by mid-November I had no idea what to do mm -hmm. I was still working in fact I worked up till about 10 o'clock on the 31st of December that night when I left. I was still going. Yeah. And the, uh, the decision at the end was uh, pretty obvious because I saw something called new technology. And I thought, this is fantastic stuff. Um, you could actually see an image on a screen, on a computer screen, which I'd never seen before, and you could click into it and work stuff out. So you could look at a map and you could work out what was there. Mm -hmm. 
when you put when you clicked on that part of the map. And that became, because I was a tourism lawyer at the time, mm -hmm. I was very interested in how that might apply to tourism. So within about six weeks, we decided to set up a business in an industry called multimedia, mm -hmm. which didn't really exist. No. And this was 94, I think, or 95, and there was no um, internet other than the US military. Mm -hmm. So we had touchscreens and we had CD-ROM technology but brilliant, um, brilliant designers. And we had a few of them working for us. And we had to go to the, to the clients and say, how about this? And they'd say, they'd say, wow. And then they'd go to the accountant or the CFO mm -hmm. and they'd look for the line in the budget where you could spend the money on this and all they could spend the money on was computers. Mm. They didn't have budget for, for anything like design. So it took us a while to get it off the ground, but fortunately we managed to get enough sensational clients and have some great success stories to kick the whole thing off and we became one of the leading businesses in um, Victoria slash Australia at the time and went through a period where we went for tenders for 12 months without losing one. Mm. We won every tender across Australia for, and we had a studio of 30 designers and was wonderful and ultimately we sold that company because in the meantime the dot-com thing came along mm -hmm. so there's all the dough being poured into the industry and we're a little self-funded company and so we're trying to fight off people who wanted to recruit our staff who mm -hmm. wanted to pinch our clients and um, they managed one staff member no clients but it was just really hard because we had yeah. to keep competing Mm. So, uh, and people were knocking on our door, they wanted to say, they wanted a piece of it. And in the end, a public company came along and we thought that'd be a good fit. So we sold. So um, while I wasn't practicing law at the time, there was still a lot of legal stuff going on, mm. as you could imagine. Yeah. And then after that, you sold that business. Then what was the next well, then phase I, for Peter? Well, what had happened was, <clears throat> pardon me, when I left legal practice, of course, people who sit behind desks think they know stuff. <laughs> and, of course, you don't. You realise as soon as you get into the commercial world, you've got no idea and all of a sudden people treat you differently and you've got to actually cut it. Mm. So there were a lot of lessons in that. And the other thing was we were actually working on a lot of um, new business mm -hmm. development for clients. So we were launching products and... Um, launching businesses for them and doing product development, you name it. The result of that was we actually had some great IP and I had a fair bit of it myself. Mm. So I decided I'd get on with um, a career in commercialising businesses, mm -hmm. which I then did. And so for the until 10 years after I left legal practice, I was working as in a business which was called Gandolfo Commercialist, mm -hmm. which... I think I'm not sure that that's a name in the English language, the, the word <laughs> commercialist. But um, nevertheless, that was good, and that took me um, into environmental areas, into um, security, a lot of lot of IT, obviously, and also international trade, and various other clients. So I was working with a number of clients very closely, um, and so the next step in all of that was 
there was an invitation from somebody that I that I was working with in that field who happened to also have a firm in Collins Street, a mm-hmm. law firm, mm-hmm. and said, well, look, maybe you can give me um, some help. And so I went back, but it was like climbing a mountain. Even though, as I said, I'd had a lot of legal experience effectively on the other side of a desk mm-hmm. as a client, I was understanding what it was like to be a client, yeah. which is terribly different. Mm. Um, that was useful. So when I decided to... Um, go back into practice I had to learn all the stuff that I hadn't learned and at, but at the same time I at least had this knowledge of what a client might be thinking mm. and how does it work from their point of view and that yeah. was who I really thought I was. So that experience of being on the other side being the client was really um, a positive and a beneficial thing for you in terms of going back into into legal practice. Yeah mm. very much so it was um, and I'd always even in my earlier practice, I'd always had this view that the a client was the hero. Mm. And I guess um, when you realise that I grew up above a pharmacy, mm-hmm. we lived above a pharmacy, and both my grandfathers were manufacturers, um, one of them a, a bootmaker and the other one a clothing manufacturer, using their hands, literally manufacturers. Mm. Um, that was all public-based. Mm. Mm. So the retail pharmacy um, meant you could see in operation my old man who was a terrific, who was very good at it. Mm. And so that was the sort of thinking I had. So I went to the... When I started in law, I couldn't understand why things were so different and how they could possibly work. And there were fixed fee structures. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of um, prohibitions on people doing things you couldn't do conveyancing unless you're a lawyer for example mm-hmm. uh, lawyers weren't allowed to advertise um, so one of the things that sparked my interest was when I realized I could get involved with the law institute and mm-hmm. I I did that uh, from an early age as a young lawyer and then for the next 20 years or so and I was on the marketing committee I chaired that and professional standards committee and various other things mm-hmm. where we're actually changing the way lawyers could present and we changed the way they could um, charge and that was something that I was heavily involved in. took seven years to be able to uh, authorise lawyers to be able to charge Mm -hmm. on on, um, a contingency basis, controlled contingency basis and we had opposition from all over the country but we got through um, and... Every one of those things was really important in being able to give people what we called access to justice. Mm -hmm. And um, I had been on the Legal Aid Commission in Victoria. I ended up chairing it. Um, And all of these things, whether it was legal aid or whether it was contingency fees or being able to market your services so people knew what to choose. Um, We started uh, here in Camberwell. We kicked off an advertising campaign for local solicitors, which Mm -hmm. I I led. started that up and then subsequently got a suburban-wide group together where we had um, 31 solicitors kicking in six grand back in the mid-80s each, Mm. each practice. Uh, So we had a budget of a couple of hundred grand. Yeah. Uh, So we advertised on TV during the test cricket. Wow. Ah, okay. And we um, we had a permanent office in the city. We were exchanging precedents and know how and 
building building a whole lot of knowledge. So all of that to me was about the client, mm -hmm. giving the client a, a proper understanding of what their rights and opportunities were. Mm. Um, and obviously the other side of that is to make sure you fearlessly represent them, to give them a, mm. a shot. Yeah. Um, and so that all that direction I feel comfortable with and fabulously supportive of. So therefore, come back to your question <laughs> about me, <laughs> going back into legal practice, yeah. um, things had changed in that 10-year break mm. that improved. Um, one of the hard things was, um, of course, a lot of the legislation had stopped being state-based mm. and become federal. So all of those new federal laws were things I wasn't familiar with. So yeah. I had to um, get up to speed really quickly. Um, superannuation was becoming important when mm -hmm. I went back to practice in the early 2000s. And as it um, transpired, I was able to get my head around that quickly. And when Costello said you can get a million dollars into your super fund, I was in a position where I knew how to do that mm. yeah. um, through property. Yeah. Um, and also when it was permitted to be able to borrow against property for super purchases. Um, so that new learning, I was I happened to be lucky enough because some clients, one of them you'd acted for, Shane, in the, <laughs> in the uh, 90s, yes. um, had asked me to do it. Mm. Um, and in fact, on that score, that particular client who's been a client of mine since the 70s remains one today. Mm. So there's been this mm. ongoing thing about make sure you you stay true to your mm. client's wishes, understand them properly yeah. and um, work with them because – and the more you do, the more you can help um, and it never becomes an issue. Price, of course, is something – Mm. that why would you ever talk about that when it's all about value and, mm. and helping Correct. people? Correct. Yeah. And they appreciate what you can do or they go somewhere else or you are, they ask you what they could do and mm. where they could go. Yeah. So that's sort of me getting back into legal practice mm. yeah. back now almost 20 years ago. So let's wind forward a bit. Let's yeah. go to 2021. So just a couple of years ago. Right. Um, you were... I'll actually probably let you tell the story, but how did we reconnect and, and well, where, where did that conversation go? <laughs> well, you remember I mentioned this chap <laughs> yes. who, uh, who shall name nameless? We're not yeah. nameless. <laughs> yes. Um, but I'm getting a bit sweaty and we'll have to towel off soon. <laughs> so um, he was the chap that was the managing partner. Yes. Um, he actually was a client of mine all the way through mm. uh, when I went back to legal practice. And I had worked with him when I was not practising law as well. Um, and he told me that young Shane McKenna, and I'll still use that word honestly. <laughs> I'm happy to keep using it for as long as you like, so that's fine. Younger than some. Yes. Um, who was now in Camberwell with his very good accounting practice, which I was familiar with, and I'd been to see... Shane, when he was just kicking off in uh, Chapel Street. Yes. And again in Kew. Yes. And then um, Peter said, oh, pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure he won't mind being mentioned. He will get mentioned, I'm sure, through throughout. Uh, why don't you have a chat to Shane? Now, I'd already 
uh, given notice, six months notice where I was and my intention was to not practice law. I was going to, I was actually really getting interested involved in, uh, interested in um, some environmental activities and thought, well, that'd be pretty, pretty good if I can do that because there'd been this shocking um, absence of any interest in, environment, in the environment for decades. Mm. But it was now starting to come to the boil. And I thought, well, if it's getting a bit, if we've actually crossed the chasm, um, I could really do something useful in that area and that could be very interesting. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Well, <laughs> so, so other things became. Uh, so, Andrea, why don't you tell me what your what, what you've been told about No, I'm saying unfortunately for the environment yeah, that I didn't know. happen, and <laughs> and um, fortunately you you ended up with us. Yeah, um, which I think is you know it's been incredible, and it's let us um, fulfil a dream that we had of being able to bring uh, all of the services under one roof because, as you know, and now that, you know, we've been in business together for some time, uh, there's no way we could have done it without you knocking on the door that day. So, I mean, we may have done it in some format, but I don't think it would have been even remotely close to as successful as what it is because... um, and, and you would say this as well, and you've been one of the biggest advocates of, of our team's commitment to values, is that what we really value as a big team uh, and all the directors and all of the people who are involved in the business is community. And what you bring to the business is that you know incredible sense of community because you have been involved in the whole process so you've known Shane from you know the minute that he walked through the doors of that building um, in Hawthorne East and you're still involved so there's you know there's story and family behind all of that as well yeah so just to fill in on that (laughs) so yes we had a conversation in 2021 late 2021 about the desire for Ancient Group to set up Ancient Group Legal so our own Legal practice. Um, I don't like using the word practice. <laughs> we're not practicing. We're not practicing. We're, we're doing, pretty yeah, expert yeah. at it. So. Um, <laughs> and so that conversation went exceptionally well. And in February slash March 22, I think it was, you basically set foot in the door and started up Ancient Group Legal. And I suppose the rest is history. 18 months, <laughs> 18 months later, we now started with one person. We now have eight. And it's been an exceptionally successful endeavour. And um, yeah, as I said, uh, as you've said, Peter has been a big part of that. So, um, so how have you found that 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 um, that move from? I suppose you had to change what you were wanting to do. So, partly I feel guilty that we've pushed into another <laughs> into a direction. But yeah, but how, how have you found that that whole 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 journey? Well, it's been sensational. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's. I mean, the first thing is when Andrea mentions culture, that's the, that's the beauty of the... We won't call it practice, we'll call it reality, right? Yes, yes, yes. So I was hearing the word reality show before and <laughs> um, this is real reality. Mm. Mm. So it's got a great... There's a great spirit. There's t- wonderful communication and... The really terrific thing about it is the clients are on board with mm. it mm. and they, they understand it. Mm. And really is like family and I, I can compare it to other places. 
because when you have been in, well, I'll call it business for so long, yeah. there's I've had, I've experienced public company um, culture and biggish private sector and organisational structures and mm-hmm. smaller, smaller businesses, professional or otherwise, and this is the most sensational attempt um, or effort, better, at at actually. Um, focusing on what's important and delivering that. So the result of that is um, it's... I mean, you still have day-to-day all the challenges that you're going to have. You never never miss those. No. But there's a great sense of um, belonging and support which is really invaluable in terms of being able to deliver what you're supposed to be delivering. Mm. Mm. So um, what um, so I suppose that's the short answer. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's also been good the way the legal firm <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not practice, yeah, firm. Has, What's wrong with that? Has, What's wrong with that? Has melded mm-hmm. um, because you've we've had some senior practitioners come in uh, kind of at a lateral Mm. level Mm. yes which is always challenging Mm. for businesses obviously you want to grow your own and we want Mm -hmm. to do that Mm. that's going to be important longer term Um, but to get the experience and transplant that in um, it's been I think it's been great the way the governance has worked governance is is, um, as it should be Uh, interestingly this isn't the first multidisciplinary business I've been in. Mm-hmm. I've been in another one mm-hmm. uh, for quite a long time prior to this. And um, I don't know if it's because accounting and law are really kindred mm-hmm. or whether it's something else, but um, there it's easy to see how you can service a client or protect a client mm. or engage a client. Uh, in a much more productive and constructive way mm. and that then I know will mean that um, your vision, Andrea and Shane, for a, a full-service offering mm. is capable of being delivered. Now, mm. I've got to tell you, when I started out back in, it might have been 08, um, there are a number of lawyers, I know quite a lot of lawyers, a lot of them very experienced who said to me, this can't work. That was mm. with the previous multidisciplinary yeah, that, that business. Type of, yep. Because mm. there'll be mm. conflicts of interest. And um, and I said, that's right, um, in the sense that you know what the challenges are going to be mm. and we've got to deal with them. Yeah. And that was the job. Um, but the model that you've now developed or we've developed together mm. is actually very supportive of, of managing mm. all of those mm. challenges. But on the other hand, because... You shouldn't ever construct anything um, on the basis of, you know, the, the small risk. Mm. should be based on making sure you get the full um, mm. promise. Mm. We handle the risk, but the promise is able to be delivered. Yeah. And I think that'll happen more and more because mm. obviously 18 months in or so, maybe a bit longer, uh, people are getting used to the concept, but yeah. boy, do they reckon it's appealing. Mm. 
it's oh, fantastic. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the clients are um, really super thrilled that they can get advice instantly. I know we've had accounting clients um, come in for meetings in the conference room and Shane will literally walk down the stairs and say, can someone come up and, yeah. you know, um, involve themselves in this meeting because it gives instant. And that's the clients just think that that's incredible that, you know, those sorts of synergies can happen because normally what we're having to do is say – here's a referral to somebody, you've got to wait and make a phone call and all of that, but the team at Aintree Group Legal are actually just really instantly accessible, which is, I think, the, from a client perspective and from our service perspective as a team a, a, of the way we want to try and um, be the first point of contact for our clients, it's just really, really important and I, I think it's been great. So, um, Peter, if you just don't mind before, me... Oh, yes, uh, sure. On Go that... On. If I may, mm. before I came here, I rang um, a client, and because I'm doing some work for that client before a tribunal this afternoon, mm. and the client said, "Well, I'm in the building with naming mm-hmm. a, the, you know the accountant, <laughs> the, accountant. the director, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, working with the client," and so up I went, yeah, and we had a chat mm. uh, to get ready for this thing, yeah, and but it was then um, quite apparent that that client sees the whole service mm-hmm. as, mm. you know, yeah. one thing. Yeah. Obviously, we respect our professional boundaries, and mm. but it's um, yeah. wor- really workable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Pardon me. No, no. Um, I want to go back to the point that you made about um, growing up living on the top of a retail pharmacy. <laughs> mm. I want you to tell me how the value of growing up in... Uh, family where because retail is really tough and I don't think people understand the how retail pharmacy works I do because I spent a bit of time working for pharmacists so I understand but retail pharmacy is one of those things where you're not only a retailer but you're providing a professional service as well which is quite fraught because people come to you with their health issues and you grew up in that environment where your family was caring for the community in that way and I also grew up on top of a a shop not a retail pharmacy but a shop and I think that it gives you a different perspective about how business should run how has the fact that your family were business people as well as professional services providers informed the way you work as a person well the, my old man um, used to open the shop five days a week plus Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. I think that was permitted. You weren't allowed to. Yeah. There were a lot of restrictions. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, but then he actually set up a night prescription service, mm. which was a cooperative group of chemists. Mm-hmm. So they, I saw the photos of them the other day. He was being filmed by... Um, the Channel 9 crew mm. back in the early 60s, if, I th- if I'm right, uh, where they came on location to this night prescription service. Mm-hmm. That, um, they used to... Ha- they had a roster. Yeah. So... And then they would also... They were also ob- able to open on Sundays and they'd have a roster. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'd be working nights, mornings and, you know, most weekends... The, so he worked really hard and he was very young. I mean, when I was born, he was 22 mm. and he owned 
the he had an offer to buy a pharmacy at that time, but mm. it took him a year or two to do it, yeah. till he found the right one, and he was terribly innovative, so he got himself somehow involved with the pharmacy guild, mm-hmm. and he was responsible for a whole lot of developments in um, promoting health care mm-hmm. through pharmacies to yeah. the public, and they were they were packaged up, and. He also was involved with AMCAL, so and he got his cousin on the board of AMCAL. So um, he he opened up, I don't know how many pharmacies he opened, but maybe a dozen or more mm-hmm. in partnership because yeah. you had restrictions on ownership. Yeah. Um, and all the time it was there was a, there was always better. Mm. Um, so he went into the big shopping centres. Yep. He was one of the first tenants in the big shopping centres, and mm. he knew the the landlords. Um, George Herskew and Mori Alter, and they'd put him on the head of the, he was the head of the shopping centre committee and mm. um, so he was and of course the, all the political parties wanted him to represent them and you know stand for pre-selection in their electorates um, he, he was very good at what he did mm. he had a great customer approach um, and we lived in the community as well so we moved from the shop to mm. a house nearby in Beaumaris and so we just knew all the people and and they flocked to his personality was great Mm. but he was um, his brother um, he had four cousins male cousins um, two of them became chemists he had another cousin who became a chemist and then he had um, uh, nephews so there were about a dozen of them Mm -hmm. and there were cousins they all followed what he'd done. So it was always clear to me that he was an innovator mm-hmm. in, in every respect. Um, he used to talk about staff training when nobody had ever heard of it. Yeah. And um, merchandising and buying was mm-hmm. important, yeah. all of this stuff. So it was about thinking, not just doing what was done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he'd been a maverick, my dad. Uh, he didn't marry an Italian woman (laughs) she happened to have a swiss italian grandmother but she wasn't italian and Mm -hmm. and that was you know that was considered to be a serious (laughs) thing to do um so he was very courageous and brave Mm. and um so i saw what he was able to achieve and so i didn't have any difficulty in knowing that in the same sort of environment in say the legal Mm. industry you could do the same stuff yeah and I always had his support and encouragement yeah. to do it. So it, over those decades when I was involved heavily in legal activities in the beginning, there were so many innovations I was involved in. I was able to get people mm. to come along with me. But it was just, I think, because he'd already said, this is what was shown me, what, what you do. Yeah. yeah. So why was law your calling? Yeah. Well, I've already, an- already answered that because if... If you had had about a dozen rallies in pharmacy (laughs) plus an auntie who was in pharmacy wholesale Mm -hmm. and a cousin who was was a rep for someone else, the last thing you want to do... I mean, what would I have achieved if I had gone into pharmacy? I was was thinking more so you thought there was lots of opportunity for legal work out of of all the things that they were doing. (laughs) Fair point. Fair point. Well, there was a bit of that, but I wasn't instructed when they got got really heavy. Well, I did do a lot of work for the family Mm. um, um, in different ways. um, But, yeah, it was literally because 
again, that independent streak. I, mm. I wanted to do something different. Mm. So that's part A to th- <laughs> of the answer. Part B is um, I did okay at school, but um, to get into uni you had to have certain prerequisites. Mm. And, and when I finished school I had none <laughs> at all, not a thing. No maths, no languages, nothing. Mm. And so all I could get into was law and commerce. Okay. So, <laughs> so the bar was pretty low at that point low. is what you're well, saying. <laughs> well, in one sense, although commerce was the hardest faculty to get into yeah. and that was the faculty I got into. Mm. And um, med, I think, was a um, fair way behind that. Law was a long way by anyone could get into law in those days. Mm. Um, it was. It's all quite different now. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, yeah, I got my scholarships and I got them all the way through. Yeah. Because I, I think there's been some stories, which we won't go through today, about you being a little bit of a troublemaker, I believe, when you were younger. <laughs> so, but we, yeah, we won't go, we'll leave that for another podcast. This is the, independent, this is the independent streak. Yes, yes. No, so anyway, right. I've learned. I've learned my lesson, that, well, I that's, hope. Well, that's a key thing, isn't it? You learn from things um, and challenges and mistakes that you might make. I'm not saying you have made any <laughs> mistakes, Um I think you were just a mischievous young young boy, weren't you? Well, I did get asked. My mother got holed up one day when I was in... We're in prep. Hang on. Prep and grade one was the same classroom. Yeah. And every at the end of that year, I was in prep. We all went up to grade two. <laughs> I just put everyone up to grade two. And then um, that was the year the mother's committee met and said that... <laughs> that Gandolfo boy should is go somewhere boy. else. So my mother had to plead... My mother had to plead with another school to let me in <laughs> and um, they gave me an entrance exam, which I failed and because I was totally illiterate. I hadn't learned a thing. <laughs> and and, and uh, then she got me in on probation and told me I was in on probation. Mm-hmm. So I, I then decided to knuckle down and get on with it. And, and look now where you are. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> Clearly yeah. The, the entrance exam meant nothing. So. Yeah, let's park law for a minute. Um, so life outside of work and age yeah. group and law, what are your interests? Well, the good thing is there is life outside mm. and that's part of the deal. Mm. Um, the office hours aren't killing. They're really sensible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, you get constitutionally kind of conditioned mm. to working long hours in you know and it was always this competition to stay last in the yeah. office mm. which now doesn't happen no. and that's terrific um there's well there's music there's always music mm-hmm. there has to be music mm-hmm. um not that i play but i'm my family's musical mm-hmm. and there's we've now been fortunate enough to find a place down the beach that we go to whenever we can, mm-hmm. which is most weekends, mm-hmm. uh, down on the um, um, South Gippsland coast. But yes. I keep telling people it's many, many, many hours away. <laughs> it's too far away. <laughs> yeah. You, don't, it's you definitely don't want to go, never down go there. there. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't think about a holiday house It's way too far. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, and then I did mention we had designers working with us mm-hmm. at, um, in the multimedia business. And design is something that appeals and it's not just confined to the studio how the studio looks or a building um although obviously that's important but it's about how you do stuff Mm. so it's about structuring Mm. if you're if you're a professional 
you design it properly and then mm. it like you design a, a, a multidisciplinary business. Mm-hmm. Um, you put in the principles, you think about it, you do the strategic stuff and it pays off. Mm. Mm. And then you go through all the other steps that you need to. But being able to work with designers very closely was so liberating. Mm. And um, the work we did was just mind-blowing. And um, the really weird thing is that the work we did then is quite often better than what gets produced today. Okay. A lot of mm. it's mm. quite just rubbish. Yeah. Um, and not intuitive, um, you know, done to a pattern. Yeah. But there's a lot of talent around and it's great when you have an opportunity to work with people that have got those mm. Um, well, those opportunities. Mm. Yeah. So I don't think I necessarily got anywhere near your question then. Oh, you yeah. did, you did. Um, back to music though, any particular genre or...? Well, yes and no. I mean, I, there was a dance floor at an event I went to the other night, um, which if it had, was had a bit of jazz or some classical, you know, I don't know you can really dance other than to a waltz or something, but mm. um, I'm not really across the more modern mm-hmm. That's okay. types of music. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up when there was wonderful... Oh, we always had the radio on when mm. I was a kid and no, there was no TV. Yeah. So all those musicians coming right out of the, um, the swing era mm-hmm. and, of course, you know, Frank and yeah. various others. But now we listen to ABC Jazz. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, which is <laughs> on a good digi- plug for ABC Jazz. <laughs> digital, digital television, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's just there's no news, nothing. You don't get um, mm. anybody telling you about stuff, yeah. which is important these days. And um, the music, the selection is just sensational. And then it's ABC FM, the classical music. <laughs> but we do have a fantastic... Um, uh, this We're sitting here in this wonderful booth... Um, fantastic collection of CDs, <laughs> if anybody remembers them. Yeah, I still remember well, those. I think, yeah. I think the listeners will probably learn, know about CDs. I think um, maybe if we're talking in 10 years' time, nobody will understand what a CD is. But I think, you know, going back to where you were when you started the um, design business, when you, as you said, there was no internet, you know, there was nothing. And we were talking to uh, another, on another episode with a friend of ours who is um, a, a big tech person. So he is actually responsible for the, um, the wiring and the cabling and all of the things that go into bringing us to podcasting and YouTube videos and all of the things that were not part of life when mm-hmm. you set up your design business and hasn't life changed so much since then you know the just the connection that you can have with people um you're listening to you know digital classical um music when we used to listen to it on a a little radio that was you know had an aerial and you don't need those things anymore because it all runs through the internet and life has changed so you're you're sounding old oh well i am sounding old (laughs) i think that's okay sounding old is all right um, now I know Peter, you you've completely missed the fact that you there's a sport that you love. You haven't talked about it at all yet, and I think Shane was trying to tease a bit out of you about that. So, well, what is your favourite sport? Well, that's a, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, well, look, I I played tennis. I'll yes. play tennis tonight. Yes, <clears throat> but I do yoga 
mm-hmm. regularly. And that yeah. I don't know if that's a sport, but it's pretty yeah. useful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this morning I was at the gym as usual when mm-hmm. they opened at six. Yeah. And um, so they're things I do. Yeah. And obviously I like taking in fresh air and wandering around, walking mm-hmm. around. Um, I watch some sports <laughs> occasionally, but not a lot these yeah, days. I yeah. I would prefer to, for, I like watching a game of footy, mm. um, but I won't listen to the commentary. Yeah. I'll have music on in the background. Yeah. And um, occasionally I won't bother watching the game. But the I do have a team I support, which is an <laughs> AFL team, which, and I've been very fortunate because I happened to pick it by myself in the late 50s. <laughs> wow. And um, it did well. Mm. And um, I think I've seen more flags than anybody I know. <laughs> yes. So uh, Hawthorne. Hawthorne. Hawthorne is a team. <clears throat> yes. And um, we, we lived in Hawthorne in the 80s. So we'd wander up to the ground on show day mm-hmm. because that was the public holiday before the grand final. Yeah. And for seven years running, they were training. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, d- I don't think many of us can say that our AFL team has been as successful as seven years running in the grand in final. And, and for the grand final, yeah, so. and they played. I think they played eight out of nine mm. in that sequence. Yeah, and they got tired one year, and Collingwood won, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I love cricket. I love watching cricket. Mm. I. I you know, obviously we all play beach cricket and, mm. yeah, yeah, that's that's a lot of fun too. Yeah. So when you go down to the beach, Peter, what do you do down there? What brings you joy when you have a weekend at the beach? Plenty of stuff. Yeah. I mean, for a start, it's, it's not just the beach. It's the beach and the bush. Mm-hmm. And we know now because we're there a lot, probably more than Melbourne, mm. there's very close relationships. And so... When we're in Melbourne on a weekend, it's like being on a holiday, <laughs> which is really strange. <laughs> so we've got some deep and enduring friendships that mm. we've developed in the years that we've been down there. And they're not just in the little place where we've got our, mm-hmm. our property, but in the in the towns around. Yeah. And they're beautiful little towns in South Gippsland. There's so much character, personality mm. and mm-hmm. a lot of art and culture and there's a lot of music going on mm-hmm. of course the yoga thing itself is wonderful because it's on the beach most yeah. of the Lovely. time mm-hmm. and we're looking out across the um uh, the water to the land mm-hmm. and the ocean in the background yeah. and then um you get a chance to actually take a break mm-hmm. so there's been there's a beautiful rail trail through that area so we can get onto that and mm-hmm. uh, wander around Yep. So there's plenty, and obviously family come down and mm. friends and yeah. yeah. What about food? Tell me what you eat when you go down there. Tell me on the podcast because I know what you eat when you go down there, and I'm really keen for you to tell our podcast listeners how you spend your weekend of food because food has will we will feature heavily food on this podcast because we are big food people. What do you take down there to eat? Well, we, we, there are places to eat. Of course there are, yeah. And yep. we do like to give the local economy mm-hmm. a bit of a bit of help. Yeah. We take down very 
a very healthy food. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished my lunch. Is that what yeah. you've got in mind? No, no, so, no. <laughs> um, but uh, today was lettuce and tomatoes and um, There's always something crunchy in yeah. Eva's lunch. Yeah. So it's um, we tend to eat very healthy food. Mm. Um, uh, recently, potatoes have gone off the menu entirely, <laughs> entirely. Um, but look, we can we can get some uh, local seafood, yeah. or we can take our own mm. seafood down. Uh, we've worked out that you can get a couple of dozen prawns frozen and leave them in the freezer for the barbecue whenever yeah, you're fantastic. at a you know at a time. Yeah, and um, there's plenty of good um, wine down there too, mm. of course, in, in that area. Yeah, I don't think you think of it as a winery sort of area, do yeah. you? Gippsland, so that's, that's right. interesting. But um, there's one winemaker down there, Philip Jones, who was in the top ten winemakers in Australia for wow. f- four decades running. Okay. Mm. Incredible. That's yeah. like, that's ex- no one else was in it. Yeah. He was the only one. And um, he is the father of Pinot Noir down there. Mm. Mm. Sensational. So um, it's the the challenge that down there is for them. It's not as developed as it was um, historically in the mm, West. Yep. So the Western District it was opened up. You couldn't get through the mountains or the mm. uh, the all the the marshes going into Gippsland. Yeah. So it's it's actually still a hidden gem. Yeah. And. Um, it's There's a pl- long, long, long way away. And hence away. why we're not Don't naming we're not naming where it is either. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. But um, the there's uh, wonderful food down there, of course, because mm. if you if you do eat beef, it's grass fed and yeah. um, all the um, you know there's wonderful berries and mm. superb yeah. You've chosen produce. a good part of the world to mm. spend your downtime. So. It's great. I think it's, yeah. And world-famous cheeses too. Yes, yeah. yeah. True. Again, we won't mention what they are because (laughs) otherwise we'll be giving away the location. Peter's secret hideout on the weekend. It's all very, (laughs) very um, spy-like. Peter, thank you so much for coming and spending today with us. I know you have got a hearing or a tribunal or something this afternoon, so you're probably um, rearing to get off to that and help out the client that needs uh, your assistance this afternoon. But we really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with us on our Q&A with S&A this afternoon. And um, no doubt you'll hear from Peter on one of our other podcasts. We do have a second podcast going, which is called Plant Grow Reap, uh, where all of our Aintree Group team will be um, involved and our legal team and no doubt Peter will share some of his fantastic stories. There are a lot of them Um, and Peter is always good for a a chat. So thank you for today and uh, thank you all for listening to this episode of Q&A with SNA. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Andrea and Chad. Thank you. Good to see you both. (laughs)